Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I went and did it. I just went and did it. I have my problems with Emma Watson. I've done a video about her UN speech for a he for she campaign in the past. So I wasn't going to, but then a friend of mine talked me into it to go and see Beauty and the Beast. I'm actually glad that I did. And I think you'll be glad, shocked, appalled, offended, but glad that I did because I have a few thoughts to share about the movie. So I'm going to assume you know the story. Who doesn't, right? Belle, Emma Watson's, quote, character. One thing that's kind of conspicuous about Belle, she has absolutely no faults or vices whatsoever. She is a perfect human being. Now, just to give you a comparison, Jesus Christ himself, Son of God, the most perfect human being who ever lived, he was tempted and he had doubts on occasion. So Jesus, and further up in the scale of perfection, is Belle. Now, smart people, wise people, are cautious around flattery because flattery is so often used to pick your pocket or pick your soul or lead you down the slippery path to perdition. So smart people are wary of flatterers. I have mine, and I appreciate the sentiments, but I don't take them seriously because flattery is, um, uh, is, is not really... It's all icing and, and no, uh, no protein. So Bell um, represents unbelievable flattery towards women. And, you know, one of the things historically that has been considered a fault of women is vanity. Vanity, thy name, is woman. And that is, of course, a great challenge. You know, to have a lot of power, to have a lot of people want you, um, well, power corrupts. And young women, young, very attractive women such as Belle, uh, have lots of men who want their hand, who are trying to woo them, who are trying to win them, and that is corrosive. Uh, and you need to fight back against that. I mean, you need to fight back against uh, vanity. Uh, and um, so Belle is considered to be very different, very different. Why? She's a reader. She's a reader. And, um, well, I mean, I, I, women read. I mean, I, well, how does that make women so different? Now, if she was reading, I don't know, philosophy, history, geology, science, physics, um, logic, uh, mathematics. If she was reading all that stuff, well, that would be uh, cool and, and kind of unusual. But no. See, she's walking around the town singing, and she says, uh, oh, here, in this story, this, this girl meets the prince, but she doesn't know he's the prince until chapter three. So she's reading silly romance novels. Ooh. Ooh, a woman reading romance novels. Wow, wow, my mind is blown with the differencing. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Uh, people aren't going to comment on this because they're scared. But um, <laughs> I'm not so you're going to get it straight. Now, there's the obligatory resentment scene. Now, let me tell you something about vanity. Vanity is built on a superstructure of insecurity. And vanity is very, very prone to the pathology called resentment. Right, remember that scene in Fight Club? Tyler Durden says, you know, we're, we all dreamt we're going to be rock stars and movie stars, but we're not. Vanity. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be wonderful. I'm going to be fantastic. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to be the center of the universe. Well, qu quite often, my friends, the universe just implacably fails to cooperate with your vanity. And you don't get what you thought you were going to get. And what happens then is, well, you have the choice. You can either dismantle the house of cards of vanity, right, because reality is constantly undermining 
your vanity by failing to provide you with the empirical evidence of your greatness. I mean, unless you work for it and have talent and all that. So what happens is, like, it's, like, it's like termites undermining a castle, and it, it will collapse. So when it collapses, when reality ixnays your vanity, what you can do is you can say, well, I'll readjust my expectations, learn to work hard, and, and recognize where I sit in the pecking order of things. And, or you can just get wildly resentful and enraged at some external enemy. I don't know, like, say, the patriarchy. And women are really being set up for this. Uh, we'll get to that. In a moment, because there's a scene in the movie, and um, it's a typical, uh, typical feminist nonsense where Belle is teaching a girl to read, and two of the villagers, a man and a woman, are like, "Oh, that's teaching a girl to read? How terrible! How, isn't one enough?" Like, like Belle's the only girl who knows how to uh, to read. Now, in history, human beings were constantly starving and dying. And resources were extraordinarily short. Extraordinarily short. If one person didn't pull his or her weight, then the family would starve. So this is really, really important to to remember. And, of course, throughout history prior to, to birth control, and particularly when religious edicts, um, well, it's easier to spread a religion through reproduction than it is through conversion. So commandments to breed are all over the place. Thanks, Erdian. And so... Women were disabled throughout most of their middle years, right? Sort of, I don't know, mid to late teens until uh, late 30s. Uh, it's quite a long time. Well, you're big with child. You're giving birth to a child. You're recovering from giving birth to a child. And you are breastfeeding and you are managing toddlers. And uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. So when society has very scarce resources, do you give education to men or to women? Well, because of biology, because we are ridiculously slow to develop species, but that's how we end up so complex, that which is slower to develop, ends up more complex. We'll get to that in a moment, too. But um, it's just the way things were. If you have a choice in society to teach a woman science or a man science, to teach a woman engineering or a man engineering, to teach a, a woman hunting or a man hunting, if you teach women equal to men, your tribe will starve to death because women are disabled through childbirth for most of their Middle, middle years. And then, you know, past that, they're in menopause and then they're creaky and old like men. And So it's, it's not patriarchal repression. Boy, if, if patriarchy was so strong, why, why not send the women to war and, and stay home and pick your teeth uh, with chicken bones? Well, um, why not send women out to hunt the big dangerous animals that can fight back and rip your head off? Well, uh, because it was just efficient allocation of extremely scarce resources. But if you ignore all of that, and if you're a young, attractive woman, then it doesn't seem like society is scarce of any resources because they're all piling at you. This big tsunami of male desire and male resource display is, is coming your way. Wow, tons of resources, tons of choice. And vanity is fed by the need of others, right? Vanity is fed by envy. And young, beautiful women are prone to vanity. And women as a whole are prone to vanity, um, just because of the nature of things, because men propose and women dispose. Men propose sexual unions or marriages, and women choose from the <laughs> the waving resource uh, offerings and uh, choose from there. So teaching a girl to read, well, if you teach a boy to read, he can go and become a lawyer and smooth the crashing discontent of social oppositions, right? You can have a peaceful resolution to things. If you have a boy read, he can... Um, Become an engineer and build a bridge or build a, some farm machinery and so on. If you teach a girl to read, 
throughout history, not in the present, if you teach a girl to read, well, she's going to end up reading romance novels and not really adding anything to society as a whole. I just wanted to point out, too, there's a black guy who's the head librarian in this tiny village in, I don't know, late medieval uh, France. A uh, time period is somewhat unspecified. There's a gun. But um, I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of cool. I have no problem with colorblind casting. I think it's perfectly fine. I just want to make sure that when there's a remake of Roots that there's, I don't know, some Asian guys and an Eskimo uh, in amongst the slaves being captured because, remember, colorblind casting is what it's all about. So she is reading romance novels. And this is also important as well, right? So women got the vote. And, and implicitly when you get the vote, there's kind of a deal, which is, okay, you get the vote, but you've really got to spend some time learning about politics, you know. Yes, you can have the keys to the car, but you better learn learn how to drive first. Uh, and um, this is important. Now, if she was reading political theory, if she was reading her, I don't know, what would be appropriate at the time. Let's just say she was reading The Republic, Plato's Republic or whatever. If she was reading political theory, that'd be pretty cool. But um, can you imagine if we gave an entire group of people the vote and didn't urge them to uh, learn more about politics? They'd just end up voting with their emotions, which would be catastrophic. And uh, this resentment, really, really important to understand. So this resentment that is sold to women is, well, you, you're just the same as men, but the only reason you're not at the top of STEM fields, you're not at the top of business is because of male patriarchy and a glass ceiling and, right? Oh, oh. And of course, if you're vain, then you're susceptible to this kind of stuff. But the reality is, at the very highest levels of intelligence, there are many, many more men than women. Now, there's arguments that at the lowest levels of intelligence, uh, there's many more men than women, Right. So you end up with more male geniuses and you end up with more male homeless people and crazy people and so on. It's just a bit more of a scattershot as genetics plays with male intelligence. But at the highest levels of intelligence, there are like 10 to 15 plus more times uh, men than uh, women. And although male and female IQ uh, intelligence, which is not perfect, but it's a pretty good measure of where people end up, male IQ, it's, depending on who you look at, it's four points higher on average than, than women's. Um, I've seen estimates as high as eight points higher than women's on average, but I think those are too high. What do I know? I mean, I'm just reporting the facts. We'll put all the sources to this below, of course. And and why? Well, uh, men's brains, about 8% heavier than women's brains. Men um, have about 15% more neurons, right? This is the basic functional unit of the brain. Uh, men have about 15% more neurons uh, than uh, than women. And so these statistics are important, right? Uh, there was a, a study, actually it was done in Canada, 100,000 people, and they did an analysis of SAT scores, uh, which correlates to IQ. And uh, they found that men have four to five points higher IQ on average than women. And at the higher levels, it's crazy, right? At the higher levels, like IQ 150, 175, and so on, way, way more men than women. And of course, men have testosterone, makes them more ambitious, and men aren't disabled by childbirth and therefore more available to put in the hard work in the middle of your career that you need to get to the very top of your profession. So it's not patriarchy, ladies. You can love us again. You can love men again. It's not patriarchy. No one's holding you back. Unless it's Mother Nature. If you consider Mother Nature a patriarch, then I guess you can continue to be annoyed at a patriarchy. But no, where men, men want women to do well, we, we love women and all that, but uh, it's important to recognize the differences in male and female intelligence so that we don't end up, I don't know, hating each other, not breeding, 
tearing each other apart in divorce court and destroying Western civilization. It could be that there's a plus to understanding the basic facts about the world that can do a lot to save us from a fate that has been set up to us by um, civilization rotting socialist termites burrowing around in the lizard bases of our brain. I want to help women love men again. It's not men's fault that there's an IQ difference. It's not men's fault that they're on average, far smarter and far dumber than women on the averages. It is just not men's fault. It's confusing because, of course, women are better at certain things. And where women are better at those things, they tend to be at the top of their professions. So things like empathy and language skills and so on, particularly storytelling, there are fantastic and great female uh, novelists. But um, it's just nature. Uh, It's just nature. And, of course, if you're less intelligent, you tend to be more prone to vanity, and then you tend to be more prone to resentment, particularly if people withhold from you the causes of your lack of particular success in particular fields. So, you know, there's Madame Curie, who was a a wonderful and brilliant scientist, uh, and nobody in particular held her back. Uh, There was Phyllis Schlafly, uh, who was a a brilliant woman, and they changed the entire university to give her accommodation, Uh, Ayn Rand and, and other incredibly brilliant women who did amazing things, and society doesn't really step in their way. It's just that Mother Nature doesn't produce an overabundance of women on the genius scale or the uh, idiocy scale. And on average, the IQs are lower. So it's not patriarchy. It's it's brain mass. And, And I don't believe any particular man is responsible for that. Now, if I were Emma Watson, and I'm sure we've all had those fantasies, right? Uh, Oh, do you know, so interesting. Right before the movie opened, oops, she lost some nude photos to the internet and they're out there or or some semi-clad photos or whatever. Huh, interesting. Because she's she's kind of a feminist, which means she wants wants more women in STEM fields. So naturally she becomes an actress and, and capitalizes on looks and talent. Huh. Sure, it's, I'm sure it's just an accident. So here's, here's an example, right? This female vanity stuff. Once you see it, uh, you, you, the, the basic trope is that women are perfect and women are great at everything that men have to study for. Men have to study for things, but women are just naturally brilliant. So there's a scene where her father, Kevin Klein, didn't even recognize him, but her father is working on these toys he makes, right? These little mechanical toys that he makes, very, very fussy, fine things. And Belle is going up to help him And he says, well, I need such and such a tool. And she's already handing it to him. And then he says, I need another tool. She hands him a tool and he says, no, no, that's the wrong one. No, wait, actually, no, that is the right one. I can use that one. In other words, she, I don't know how old she is, 18 or 20 or whatever it is, maybe 18. So she at at 18 knows far more about her father's business and how to make these tiny fussy toys than he does himself, having made them for decades. You see how this works? You could see this at the beginning of Rogue One, right, where the woman is just able to take down all these men. And she's just incredible at absolutely everything. And there's no indication of training or backstory as to how she became good at it. Uh, good at it. And, and, and she loves Belle. And I was thinking, like, okay, this is nice, seeing that there's love for a father figure and so on. But um, he doesn't threaten her vanity. He doesn't say... You're not good at something. He doesn't say, you know, he, she, he pumps her vanity. In other words, she's broken him and drawn him in as a supplicant, a kneeler to the mecca of her own vanity. And therefore, she loves him because she's broken him and made him into a slave to serve her own vanity, which is what happens with the beast later on. So this is really, really important to understand. What does it mean when you say a woman loves you? Well, 
I believe, of course, you know, love is our involuntary response to virtue if we're virtuous. So you have to earn love by being virtuous and courageous and brave and strong, caring about the world in realistic ways and so on. But, you know, the vast majority of it is just sexual lust, which we imagine is some kind of virtue, which doesn't last, right? I mean, nature slams us together in order to make more of us and then doesn't really care what happens afterwards as long as the youth have a reasonable chance of survival. And uh, that used to, of course, mean two-parent households. Uh, Now it means a welfare state and um, the endless intergenerational mudslide and social decay of uh, debt and money printing and so on. But um, what does it mean to be loved by a woman? Well, does it mean to be broken? and not threaten her vanity. A lot of times, I think it kind of does. And we'll see more of that in the movie as we go on. So compare Belle to Gaston, right? So Gaston is this young, roguish, you know, youthful Richard Branson pirate type. And he's considered to have physical vanity, right? He's considered to be physically vain. It's a pretty funny scene of him wooing himself in a mirror and so on. But here's the interesting thing. Gaston And there's a whole song about this. Gaston has real achievements. He's great at hunting. He's great at dancing. He's great at sword fighting. He's great at all of these things. But you see, he's not allowed to be vain. Now, what's Belle good at? I don't know. She's good at reading romance novels. Um, What's she good at? Uh, No answer. So... Gaston, with all of his amazing achievements, is not allowed to have any vanity. His vanity is portrayed as ridiculous. Yeah, because, you know, in the world, the big problem, you see, is not female vanity, but male vanity. Oh, yes, that's the the big issue we need to step past the elephant and and fight the ant. That's really, that what makes you a great hunter. So Gaston, with his real achievements, no, he's not allowed to be vain. But the vanity of Belle is not even... Pointed out, oh, yes, of course, there's the usual Disney tropes. Um, <laughs> first of all, of course, there's there are no two-parent households. I mean, that's so common in Disney films. It's ridiculous. Uh, Dalmatians accepted, I suppose. But here's the usual Disney trope. Beauty is within, right? Beauty is within. Beauty is within. Don't think about external things. It doesn't really matter. Beauty, you see, is just within, which is why we cast a gorgeous young woman in the lead role. Because, you see, beauty... <laughs> Beauty is within. Now, uh, you know, put, um, I don't know, uh, some overweight or less attractive a woman with pimples or spiky hair, you know, put someone like that in the role and I'll believe you when you say beauty is within. But it's just kind of funny when a perfectly quaffed, completely clean, and, and, and of course everyone uh, in, in pre-industrial France had absolutely perfect teeth. Of course. I mean, because, you know, they just had all that kind of flossing and water picks and so on. So this perfectly quaffed, spotlessly clean, absolutely perfectly made up, high cheekboned, you know, she's got lips that could <laughs> cut diamonds. And she's, beauty is within, like, it's not, it doesn't matter how you look, beauty is within. <laughs> like, well, then why do you have to look beautiful if beauty is, anyway, it's just the usual hypocrisy that, uh, that goes on. And, and you see, here's the thing too. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, yes. Europeans, make sure you don't breed because, you see, she is starting to push it, right? In her day and age, if you weren't married by your late teens or early 20s, you were kind of like an old maid, like it was bad. And the consequences of not being married were were terrible, as is pointed out in the film. But um, she's not ready to have kids. She's going to postpone having kids. Why? Why is she going to postpone having kids? What's she going to do? Who knows? It doesn't matter. But that's a standard Disney thing. 
Don't have kids, Europeans. Push it off. Have it. Have them. Oh, have them later at some point. Ah, uh, well, you know how it works. Incrementalism, in theory, means never doing it in practice. Oh, you know what? Don't have kids when you're young and you can. You're, you're healthier and your fertility is higher and you can choose to have more kids if you want and you can stay up late and you can stay up all night and you can still bounce back. Don't have kids then. You know when you want to have kids at some point in your thirties. When there are really no decent men left in the marketplace, when fertility is an issue, uh, when you can't choose to have two, if you can get women to delay having kids into their 30s, you can, tell, you can kill an entire species. I mean, you really can. Because you just can't reach replacement levels on average if women are going. Oh, and plus, you'll be really terrible at having relationships because you've had a whole bunch of failed relationships in your 20s. And... A woman who's a virgin when you marry her, she's almost never going to divorce you. You're going to have a wonderful together marriage. But a woman who's had more and more sexual partners is more and more likely to divorce you. And um, this is just the way. You know, statistics are very, very clear on this. It's dose to penises uh, and dysfunction are dose dependent for women. The more penises, the more dysfunction it is. Just So I'm not ready to have kids because I need to sing and dance around and read a few more romance novels. I mean, are you kidding me? This is, this is where we are. This is where don't have children. Don't have children. And uh, I don't know, what if there was huge propaganda for other ethnic groups to not have uh, children? Well, okay, so here's another thing, right? So her father, Belle's father, he takes this trip. I think it's every year. He takes this trip to go and sell his toys in the city. That's what they live on, right? So he takes this trip. He's taken this trip many, many times. and uh, But he just gets lost <laughs> because, because he's a man and therefore he's incompetent. Yeah, that's right. Because, uh, you know, women are great at finding things in the house. Men are great at finding things in the woods. Right? For obvious evolutionary reasons that women gathered around the home and men hunted in the forest and so on. Uh, every time I go on a hike, I, mean, <laughs> I, I know exactly how to get back. My wife has no clue. But I can stare at things for eight minutes in the fridge and not see them in front of my very nose. So, so he gets lost. Now, she goes back and forth all over the place, never gets lost. Even though it's a place, it's dark and it's chaos and confusion. She's been chased by wolves and, and lightning and rain. And, but she never gets lost. Never gets lost. But her father in a time with no rain and no wolves in a trip he's made many many times before he gets lost and uh, i just really i want to point out men are incompetent women are wonderful men's earned competence fails them all the time women's unearned competence is perfect and flawless it's just remember this remember this but again if we don't have lower iqs on average they're going to be more susceptible to uh, flattery justin trudeau anyway I also wanted to point out how delightful it is that Lumiere, the Frenchman, why in France does a guy have a French accent? <laughs> I mean, it, it's just one of these things. When I first saw the cartoon, it's like, that seems kind of odd to me. You're in France. You're speaking French to French-speaking people, but you have a French accent, huh? It's like, okay, okay. Um, I also like the phrase, avoid the West Wing. Um, not only does it work in the plot, but it also is a great way to avoid liberal propaganda uh, on uh, on television. So here's the here's the thing. There's this theme, and this is so, it's so important to really really grok this, get this in deep into your brain. It's so illuminating. I mean, nobody talks about this stuff except me. <laughs> but here's the thing. So she kind of the whole thing is she's. He's got to fall in love with her. She's got to fall in love with him. So how do you win a woman's love? Very, very important. Very important. Also, the scene in the library. First of all, so she asks him, have you read all these books? There's thousands of books, right? And he says, well, not all of them. Some of them are Greek. 
and this is supposed to be some joke. I don't, I don't really get it. But anyway, um, so he's read all these books. So he's far better read than she is. She's read, the only thing we've seen her read is silly romances, but he's read all of these thousands of books, except for the Greek ones, which means he's read history, geology, philosophy, politics, you, na- you name it. He's, he's, he's consumed it all. So a brilliant guy and all that. But you see, she can't love him and she can't be happy because she's not free, right? So he imprisons her because her father stole uh, something from him. So he imprisons her and therefore she can't be free. She can't be free to choose to love him because he's not been set free. Oh my God. Oh, my God. And, and, and it seems believable to us because we're so used to deferring to female vanity and not telling the truth to women, which is crazy. I mean, if you respect women, tell them the truth. These are, this is what you do with people. You don't lie to people you respect. You lie to people who are children. Yeah, there's a Santa Claus. Anyway, yes, it's patriarchy. <laughs> Probably the two one are the same. But um, here's the thing. So the story goes that the beast is mean when he's young. Uh, uh, an old woman comes in and... and wants shelter from him in the palace, and he makes fun of her. And she offers him a rose, but she doesn't take because he's young and foolish and all that. And so then she puts a curse on him. Now, this curse is monstrous, monstrously vicious and evil. She turns him into this, you know, mutant X-Men demon monster, and then all of his servants, what did they do? They're not to blame. It's not their fault. All All his servants end up being turned into talking furniture and other things, right? Well, it's not their fault that he, I mean, they're servants. They may even be slaves, as far as I know, as far as their freedom goes. So somehow, she must be free to love. But he can fall in love, though he is a literal, tormented, in hell slave of a woman's evil magic. His freedom to love is never questioned. No one ever says to him, because, you know, the time's ticking down, right? He's been there for decades, stuck in this eternal winter, in this mutant physical form, surrounded by chatty wood. And what that means is that he's not free to love either, right? He can't be free to love, because time's ticking down. When the last petal falls, the spell will be unbreakable. He will never be returned to human form, and his friends will be killed, turned into non-talking wood, regular old furniture. So she, you see, needs to be free so that she can love him. She needs to be free so she can love him. However, his freedom has nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do with anything. That is really astounding when you think about it. He did not deserve the fate that he received at the hands of this uh, vicious witch. And no one ever talks about the fact that he needs to be free to love as well. Why? Because he's a man. And men's freedom, men's choices, we don't. We don't think about. Also, let me ask you this. Let's say that this beast did not live in a giant, resplendent castle, mansion, space station of massive wealth display. If he wasn't fanatically and fantastically and mind-bogglingly rich. Let's say he lived in a little shack in the woods and she ended up there. So he's a beast but he lives in a little shack in the woods. Would the story work? Of course not. Why would she be interested in him? Being a woman historically means being evolved to get resources from men. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just pregnant women need breastfeeding women, can't hunt and, and can't farm much and, and therefore need men to bring them resources. Nothing wrong with it. It's just the way that nature works. So women have evolved to get resources from men. So this is like 50 shades of gray. He's a monster. 
but he's rich. So I have to find some way to make him nice so I can get his stuff. Ah, I have to lie to myself and tell myself that there's a spark of goodness within him because he's got a lot of stuff. And he got a lot of stuff by being an asshole, by being a jerk. Now, I want his stuff, but I don't want to feel like a kind of prostitute. So what I'm going to do is pretend that there's this wonderful guy deep down in there that I can unlock with the power of my love and boobs. And that way I can get his stuff and not feel like a bad person. And this is very, very common throughout. Uh, I mean, this goes all the way back to Pride and Prejudice and, and further back as well. He's got a lot of stuff. I want his stuff. I want his wealth. I want his resources. Or rather, my eggs do. My, my babies do. My, you know, I need, I need resources. But he's not a nice person, but I want his resources. So what do you do? It's a tough call, right? Well, you pretend that he's a great guy. And you take his resources, and then you get progressively more frustrated that he doesn't change, and then you divorce him and get his resources through the power of the state. So this is really, really important to understand. Think of Beauty and the Beast. If he was poor, if the beast was poor, well, she'd be joining the villagers to hunt him down. She wouldn't be trying to climb on top of his uh, Chewbacca virility uh, and uh, (laughs) mount his wealth, so to speak. So here's another female vanity thing. So her father, he's not ancient at all, and she's young. So (laughs) she fights wolves. Oh, my God. Yeah, because she weighs, what, a buck five? And uh, she's... (laughs) She's got those brittle, youthful model bones. I wish clothes to drape on me as if I am Skeletor with good skin. And so her father, when his, her father gets trapped by wolves in the woods, he, he's all helpless and, and limp-spined. I can't do anything. I guess I'll just be eaten. And she's like, I'm picking up a stick. I'm going to fight these wolves. And so, like, okay, okay, that's right. Yeah, that, that's the way it worked throughout history. You know, if you had a wolf out there, you sent out the 18-year-old little girl. Uh, not the mature man in the prime of his life. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now, this also this argument, too, that Gaston um, is, is not an object of female affection. I mean, I know some of the other girls like him in the, in, in the movie and all that, but come on. Have you never been to high school, good-looking alpha male? He gets the girl in general. Because beauty means in, in men means both good genes and an expanded or extended ability to acquire resources because good-looking people get paid more. So women's attraction to looks uh, is partly for that. Male's attraction to female looks is because it, you know, even features signify good genes. A good hip-to-waist ratio signifies uh, uh, fertility. Uh, being obese, being overweight or obese is uh, interferes with fertility and uh, means that the woman is not able to work as hard around the... Um, the farm or the house or the hunting or whatever, and therefore would be uh, a negative and so on. So, yeah, I mean, this is not all made-up stuff, and it's not all social constructs. So then we have the question, because she wants the resources, right? Belle wants, she's got the beauty, right? The old song, your daddy's rich and your mama's good-looking. So she wants his resources, and she knows that her beauty is the coin by which she's going to get his resources, but he's a beast. Now, what does it mean to say that he's a beast? What it means is that he disagrees with her. And they have this fight. They have this conflict. Disagree with the woman. And she's like, well, no marriage for you. No sexual access. No reproduction for you if you disagree with me. And we can see this all the time. We can see this in, in the movie. You, you can't give her any flaws because then the feminists will be mad. You disagree with the feminists and they'll get mad at you. Say mean things on the internet. Right? So what does it mean that he's a beast? Well, they're having pleasanter chats and so on. 
And she's dazzled by, you know, the be our guest, be our guest. She's dazzled by the fact that they're basically our slaves and servants, which means that she can enjoy all of the vanity of being a rich man's wife without having to do any work. Doesn't We never see her outside of one bit of gardening and handing her father some tools. She's never doing any work. Never doing. The way it works, ladies, is you use your beauty to get a man, and then you get pregnant, you get less beautiful, and you actually work. Like men work. But this fantasy that you can be out there, you know, just dancing and and tossing your hair and (laughs) everyone else does the work. Of course, that's a bit of a female fantasy. Um, It's like the male fantasy of, you know, endless variety of sexual partners, which I'm sure turns out to be fairly boring. But... um, so she, she wants to empathize with the beast because she needs to find some good in him so she can justify her own desire to acquire his wealth and, and resources. So they go into a little bit of a backstory about the beast. And uh, how did he become mean? How did he become mean? Well, it can't be anything to do with his mom because it's a Disney film, right? And, and therefore, you can't say anything negative about women. So the way that it works, you see, is his mother died and his father was mean. Ah. The dying mother, what a great excuse. I mean, it's the same thing that happens in fairy tales. My real mother died, but this stepmother who's really mean is not my real mother. She's a pretend mother who came in. And this has a lot to do with the fact that people, when they're infants, moms can be, it's pretty good and easy being a parent to an infant. I know, I've I've done it myself. Uh, Because, you know, there's cooing and cuddling and so on. And there's no disagreements in particular, no fights. But when kids get older, they call it the terrible twos. And what that means is that, toddlers who disagree with their moms and must be crushed, right? As we see, men who disagree with their women must be crushed. And when they are crushed, when they are destroyed, when they have no spine and can't fight back and are fully integrated into the vanity fantasies of their women, then the women will deign to look upon them positively. And so, yeah, so the beast is mean because of his father. Now, the evil of the witch, the evil of the witch for putting a curse on an entire household for one moment of callousness from the young man Never discussed, never talked about. Oh, and they're out. He can't tame a horse, but she can tame a horse. And blah, blah, blah. It's just, oh my God, it's so predictable and so boring. So, at what moment does Belle fall in love with the beast? Just before he dies, he's been shot a couple of times. And just before he dies, with no thought to his own imminent demise, no regrets over his life, no flashing back of his own existence, no terror of the imminent union with eternity and nothingness. He looks at her and he says, at least I got to see you again. So he would rather die if he got to see her one more time than continue to live as he is. He's utterly broken. He has ceased to exist as an independent human being. He has now become completely codependent, completely narcissistically joined to her vanity. He has no existence. He would rather die and see her face one more time than continue to live as he is. She has ultimate control and power over him. It's mad. But that, my friends, is what they call woman's love these days days. Now, when he has been so utterly broken that he will take one glimpse of her rather than have a continued life, when he has no thought for his own demise, no fear of death, no regret at his ending, but just a fetishistic desire to view upon her face one more time before he dies, when he is that broken, when he has ceased to exist to that much, when he is so much cloven to her 
vanity, when he will never again pose a threat to her vanity, when he will never again disagree with her, when he has been shattered and smashed and remade into the cult of the vagina, well, then, and only then, can she love him. Vain people only love you if you never threaten their vanity, and it's not love. It's a demand that you live in the madhouse of their own grandiosity with them and never, ever disturb anything. And then what happens is, when she has broken him, when his own sexual desire and and lust has broken his will, when he's become, you know, that slope-shouldered, shuffling along, staring at the sidewalk as massive amounts of people raid his wallet kind of husband, when she's broken him, when he has finally become the spineless nothing that she can live with and love, well, then he becomes transformed into basically a woman. He's good-looking, he's clean-shaven, he's got long flowing hair. When she has destroyed his masculinity for the sake of her vanity, why then she can love him and he becomes a woman. And then, the last thing she says, if I remember rightly in the whole movie, is this. She said, would you mind growing a beard? And he's, he gives her a growl, like the beast. So she gets everything she wants. She breaks him. She turns him into a non-threatening woman. And then she's dissatisfied at his lack of masculinity. Okay. Also known as Europe. It is interesting to me as well that she has a mild-mannered father and then she just loves her. Belle just loves herself some rough trade. And that's interesting to me. This kind of a pendulum that happens, right? Um, women have been raised by mild or broken down, both by female vanity, by the media, and by the court system, broken down fathers. So a lot of mild-mannered fathers out there and women now these days seem to be kind of keen on, let's just say, rougher foreign ideologies and um, Fifty Shades of Grey and, and other forms of uh, that. So that's kind of an important aspect to it as well. And um, this no families thing, ah, you know, that's another huge problem. Socialism is served by single motherhood, particularly sort of white or European males are very skeptical of state power. So you have to find a way to emasculate white males or males as a whole in general. And the way that you do that is you expose their women to danger and prevent them from doing anything to um, to save their women, right? Because that activates testosterone protection and so on. And so in Sweden, you can see they're bringing in, um, you know, Sweden's now the rape capital, second biggest in the world, biggest in Europe, and so on. And the men are prevented from doing anything to to rescue their women from, from this, this plague of, of violence and rape. And so they become, when males get defeated, their testosterone goes down, where they're continually defeated. And if they're raised by single moms, male testosterone goes down. Uh, and so if you can remove testosterone, then you remove the pushback against the expansion of state power. So delivering uh, boys into single mother households is a, a great plan and program for those who want to expand the state, also because well, the welfare state is a single mother state, and when you get women dependent on the state, they'll always vote for more and more state. Interestingly enough, single women vote for bigger government and leftist policies. Married women, whose husbands are out there working, uh, they vote 
generally for smaller government uh, and uh, more rightist uh, policies. Um, it's just kind of the way. So if women are married, then you don't get as big a government. And if you want to grow the government, then you have to separate women from men so that women's dependence will then shift from individual males to males in the collective who pay far more taxes than women. Uh, it shifts to the government, right? So if you can detach women from men and attach women to the government, then you can grow government virtually unopposed. Well, <laughs> until it all collapses and then when women go running back to men, or in case there's massive amounts of internal conflict in the country, in which case women will then go running back to men. Uh, and then at this point, the men, I think, are kind of half and half saying, okay, fine, we'll save you from yourselves again. Or maybe just saying, nah, not not this time, ladies. Uh, sorry, uh, it doesn't doesn't work for me anymore. So uh, a great a great film, very, very deep. I really could talk about this for hours. I'm going to try and keep it concise. But um, we'll put the sources to all of this below. Really, really appreciate you listening. I look forward to your feedback. You can let me know in the comments below. Please like, subscribe, and share this video. Very, very important for us to understand the big picture. And ladies, 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 please, please remember, we love you. And we care for you. And we want you to be happy. The patriarchy is a myth invented by wedge politicians who wish to drive us apart so they can fill in the gap between the sexes with their own sickly, addictive political and power lusts. Don't be bribed. Don't sell yourselves to the state. Stay with the men. We love you. It's not our fault that nature designed us differently. We can celebrate the difference, which is kind of why we're all here in the first place, or we can turn against each other and then be crushed by the falling weight of an ever-escalating state. Thanks, everyone, so much. Please, please, please help out this show. Subscribe on this channel. Please go to freedomainradio.com slash donate. We don't take ads. It's all listener-supported. Please, if you find this important and find this essential, if you admire what it is that's going on here, please help us. Please support what it is that we're doing. We need you more than ever now in this crucial moment in world history. freedomainradio.com slash donate. Thanks, everyone. Have yourselves a great, great day.